From Barry Howard Minkin's book Brainwashed America's Cultural Revolution. Justice is just. It's not the voting that's democracy, that's the counting. Tom Stoppard. A blindfolded woman holding a pair of scales is symbolic of America's justice system. The system is indeed blind, not necessarily to guilt or innocence, but rather to the damage the legal system itself is causing our country. Indeed, judges and lawyers are most often the problem rather than the solution. In this chapter, lawyers and their politician cousins become easy targets. Here comes the judge, there goes the Constitution. In the last few years, federal courts have ignored the separation of power and begun to interfere with laws enacted by the legislative branch of government. The courts now impose their own rulings as laws on communities that never voted for them. In 1994, voters in California passed by a substantial margin the ballot measure known as Proposition 187, denying most public benefits such as welfare to illegal aliens. Within a year, a federal judge ruled the law unconstitutional. Similarly, in 1996 the voters of California passed Proposition 209, a ballot measure that effectively abolished affirmative action programs and prohibited racial discrimination by state government. Again, a federal judge ruled the new law unconstitutional, this time in just three weeks. Furthermore, the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court struck down as unconstitutional the official English language amendment to the Arizona State Constitution. Likewise, a U.S. District Judge ordered the Kansas City School District to spend $740 million to meet education standards set by his dictate. A California judge contributed to the civil wrongs that continues to allow the race victim card to be used. This time, it was to trump the minimal standards required to graduate high school. Judge Friedman, just weeks before graduation, said he intends to block the state's exit exam. This would allow students to receive diplomas even if they couldn't pass basic English and math tests. The judge said that he found merit in the argument that the exam was unfair, since all California students do not have access to the same quality of education. So by dropping the bar, this activist judge presented our businesses and colleges with more dead-enders and devalued the diplomas of students from the same schools, who had worked hard to master basic survival skills. The only bar these students will raise will be the corner bar. This judicial revolution. The federal courts have appointed themselves as virtual dictators to determine which laws are valid or not, without regard for the wishes of voters, legislators, or even the text of the Constitution. Judges since the 1920s have used a variety of pseudo-constitutional doctrines and devices to override laws they have disliked. One such device is the misinterpretation of the Constitution's Commerce Clause empowering Congress to regulate commerce among the several states, with foreign nations, and with Indian tribes. They purposely misinterpret this clause to justify federal regulation of virtually any activity that remotely affects interstate commerce. This includes upholding the 1964 Civil Rights Act and its prohibition against racial discrimination by private enterprises in hotels, restaurants, and theaters. The courts use this clause in ways having nothing to do with the intent of the language or of the principles of those who originally drafted and adopted it. This alteration of the Commerce Clause's original intent is an example of how one subtle change is negatively impacting our future. Original intent is an important concept worth understanding when selecting judges at every level. Simply stated, original intent is the only legitimate means of interpreting any law. We should look to the intentions of those who drafted and enacted law as essential reliable guides to the law's application. In recent history, there has been a judicial revolution in the United States, intent on overthrowing the doctrine of original intent. Even some Supreme Court justices think it is their job to evolve our laws to meet their own subjective view of reality. Retired Supreme Court Justice William Brennan was one of the architects of this judicial revolution. In a New York Times editorial, 
he acknowledged his own abandonment of the original intent principle. I approached my responsibility of interpreting it, the Constitution, as a 20th century American, Brennan recalled, for the genius of the Constitution rests not in any static meaning it may have had in a world dead and gone, but in its evolving character. Wrong, the whole point of a written Constitution lies precisely in its static meaning. By fixing its meaning in writing, the framers tried to make it impossible for people to change the meaning of the laws to suit their own purposes. If we employ Brennan's evolving document, courts could simply impose on the written laws whatever meaning they wish, without regard to the original meaning in the language. Our judicial system can no longer be considered just, when its judicial revolution seriously compromises the American values won in our own revolution. Since most of us are not directly impacted, we have not begun to consider seriously the ways to halt the judicial revolution and restore the Constitution. Who will be our next Paul Revere and sound the alarm? If not reversed, expect to feel more anger as you continually learn of more arrogant judges using the Constitution as notepaper to compose agendas for their buddies and themselves. Prejudging judges. Experienced law professors and litigates, as well as the general public, are reporting that too often judges are simply unwilling to listen to facts and reason. They start instead with predilections heavily favoring one view. If asked, of course, they deny ever having made such predilections. They then prove impervious to facts and viewpoints contrary to their bias, and are steadfast in their opinion even when there is evidence supporting different facts, or when those facts are not denied by opposing counsel. In many cases, judges literally make up counterfacts. An ongoing example is the three-ring circus surrounding the case of General Flynn. The clown running this circus is a Judge Sullivan who, though he has no standing, has filed a petition for rehearing, has ignored the massive amount of information in the Justice Department's motion to dismiss, and can't even get basic facts right, such as the date of Flynn's mandamus petition, as well as other key aspects about the petition and the facts supporting it. Sullivan even wrongly asserts that Flynn already had two separate judgments of conviction, when in fact no convictions were ever finalized or entered into the record. Judge Sullivan's extraordinary actions arise solely from his partisan disagreement with the government's decision to dismiss the case against General Flynn. Not only did he wrongfully libel this decorated general with an idiotic and baseless assertion of treason, but he has been vocal that General Flynn should be punished severely. Flynn's attorney noted, the district court has hijacked and extended a criminal prosecution for almost three months for its own purposes. It's time for this rogue judge to follow the lead of Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey, and shut down this circus. An analogy to the typical judge's resistance to facts is the O.J. Simpson jury, who were not going to let facts get in the way of prejudices. Another is Justice O'Connor's support of affirmative action for the simple reason that she had negative experiences as one of a few female law students. When judges act on the basis of their prior predilections, ignore facts, and even make up supposed counterfacts, they destroy a central tenet of the judicial system, decisions of cases are to be based on facts rather than prejudice. They injure persons by such decisions, and in the case of the Simpson jury, destroy faith in the judicial system, leading to bitterness toward a system that reneges on its promise to be fair. This bad situation is made worse when the disregard for facts is combined with other acts that compound the bias. For example, a judge may ensure that facts contrary to the side he favors are kept to a minimum by denying discovery of those facts. Discovery is the legal process occurring before trial, where each party receives documents from the opposing side and questions the persons involved. Judges sometimes, almost unbelievably, hold secret hearings barring one party from examining witnesses and learning facts. There are also examples of judges disqualifying knowledgeable and experienced counsel who would be best qualified to uncover and present those facts. Judges have refused to be excused from hearing a case, 
even when they have ignored or buried facts and have then been accused of bias. I was involved in a vote recount that involved an entrenched New York Democratic congressional incumbent, a former judge himself, who was running against an idealistic reformer who I worked for. The vote was very close, with the incumbent winning by about 300 votes, so a recount was ordered. The recount, after taking out scores of invalid votes from dead people and double counting, showed my boss, the reformer, as the winner by a few votes, say 15. The incumbent challenged the recount in court. The sitting judge, a known associate of the incumbent, refused to disqualify himself saying, though he was a friend of the congressman for 30 years, he could be impartial. He then reviewed the recount and gave the reformer all but 18 of the challenged votes, just enough to assure another victory for the incumbent. Who is judging judges? Political conservatives continually charge that judges are overriding the will of the people, as expressed in statutes relating to abortions, gay rights, affirmative action, religion, and so forth. The left, on the other hand, makes charges of bias by businesses against women, minorities, handicapped, Spanish speakers, and so on. In the meantime, the lawyers charge trial judges with tyrannical and arbitrary misuse of their position, and even bribery. However, conservatives, liberals, and lawyers all agree that the commissions and boards dealing with judicial misconduct are not effective. Due to this lack of power, few judges are taken to task by commissions, which are largely comprised of judges themselves, and staffed by defenders who are predisposed to protect wayward judges rather than punish them for misusing their position. Packing the court. As soon as President Trump announced he would fill the Supreme Court vacancy created by the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, progressives warned that they would retaliate by enlarging the size of the court. With the Democrats possibly about to seize control of the Senate, these threats linger in the air as a warning, if the court doesn't rule as we say, eventually we will fill it with justices who will. Of course, federal courts are not supposed to bend to the will of politicians, nor should they follow public opinion. Quite the contrary, our founders created an independent judiciary by design. Judicial independence isn't an abstract concept. It's a rule that protects federal judges from outside interference so they can render decisions fairly and objectively on the basis of the law and the facts before them. Judicial independence is so important that Article 3 of the Constitution gives federal judges lifetime appointments to insulate them from political and social pressures. To be sure, the Constitution does not dictate the number of Supreme Court justices. But since 1869, the court has consisted of nine members, eight associate justices and one chief justice. And, while there might be non-political reasons to alter the size of the judiciary, our founders certainly did not intend for politicians to tamper with the structure of a coequal branch of government for political gain. Current efforts to pack the court attempt to do just that. They are a brazen attempt to turn our independent judiciary into a dependent and subordinate instrument of left-wing politicians, one that is impossible to square with the Constitution's separation of powers principles. Packing the court would be truly revolutionary. It would change the fundamental structure of our government, depriving the judiciary of the ability to check unconstitutional government overreach. After destroying our independent judiciary, what's next? Will proponents of court packing seek to dismantle the Senate, claiming it's unfair to the majority of Americans who live in larger states? Adding two more states and eliminating the electoral college that would assure one-party rule and destroy America's democracy is being openly considered by the Democrats. Perhaps not surprisingly, adding additional Supreme Court justices is a popular tool of authoritarian rulers. In 2004, for example, Venezuelan dictator Hugo Chavez added 12 new seats to his country's Supreme Court to ensure that the Venezuelan judiciary would not stand in the way of his attempts to consolidate power and confiscate thousands of private businesses. 
the expanded Venezuelan court then stood by as Chavez and his successor, Nicolas Maduro, imposed socialism and deprived citizens of fundamental rights. In 2017, the Venezuelan High Court declared the legislature illegitimate and transferred all lawmaking power to itself. When riots ensued, the pact court backed down. But it has continued to allow Maduro to rule without consulting the legislature. Is that what you voted for? There was a time when Americans of both parties opposed court packing schemes. When President Franklin D. Roosevelt attempted to pack the court in 1937, the Democratic-controlled Senate Judiciary Committee called his plan a dangerous abandonment of constitutional principle and an invasion of judicial power. Opposition was so fierce that Roosevelt had to back down. Although some far-left Democrats like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez have favored court packing for several years, as recently as 2019, Justice Ginsburg herself expressed grave reservations about changing the number of justices on the court. In an interview with NPR, Ginsburg warned that changing the number of justices would politicize the court, threaten its independence, and undermine its legitimacy. Nine seems to be a good number. It's been that way for a long time, she said, adding, I think it was a bad idea when President Franklin Roosevelt tried to pack the court. But Justice Ginsburg has died, and so too has most of the Democratic opposition to court packing. When asked about enlarging the size of the court in the aftermath of Ginsburg's death, Senator Minority Leader Chuck Schumer said, everything is on the table. And a number of Democrats in Congress have explicitly said they would expand the court as payback for the confirmation of Justice Barrett. For his part, Joe Biden in his usual opaque manner says that he will convene a commission to study the issue. The purpose of such a commission is obvious, to make clear to the current justices that they are on thin ice, that if they dare rule against the wishes of the political branches, retribution awaits them. If that isn't a threat to the rule of law, I don't know what is. I suspect that if proponents of this scheme understood more about the 1937 attempt at court packing, as well as the effects of court packing in various banana republics, they would reject this terrible idea. It is such a bad idea that in 1937, the Democratic-controlled Senate Judiciary Committee called Roosevelt a plan a dangerous abandonment of constitutional principle and an invasion of judicial power. Opposition was so fierce that Roosevelt had to back down. Do you agree one must be either brainwashed or an extreme radical to support a position that upsets the balance of powers that separates a democracy from a banana republic dictatorship? The way the Biden DOJ has been weaponized to go after Trump, his supporters, lawyers and associates, while letting the BLM, Antifa, and other criminals, rioters, looters go free, has many Americans believing we now have a two-tier system of justice. Does it surprise you that in a Google search most of the upfront pages are populated almost exclusively by fake news and other left-leaning sites that support court-packing idiocy?